Hi, I'm Paul Jay, and welcome to the analysis.news. Uh, please don't forget the donate button, subscribe if you're on YouTube, and most important, uh, come to the website and sign up on the email list. Do you see a increasing risk of sort of, you know, totalitarian, very negative regimes more than now um, arising as a response to the climate crisis? Uh, it, it, I, to some extent, depends where. But uh, yes, of course, uh, in the United States, the tendency towards fascism is very strong. Uh, the uh, Not only from the Christian right, not only from the uh, traditional military industrial complex, you know, like a Dick Cheney, right? Uh, and not only from corporate Democrats who, you know, in New York, uh, finance uh, would rather have the kind of liberalism in the society that they've had, but if their wealth is threatened, they're quite all right with totalitarianism because protecting their wealth is the prime directive. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it, it's not hard to see uh, a scenario where there's, here we get back to the conspiracy, uh, you know, where some bomb goes off in New York, yeah, a dirty bomb or a viral bomb or whatever, and they can blame it on who the enemy of the day is, Iran or whoever. And the Democrats bring in a form of police state. You know, I mean, most of the Democrats voted for the Patriot Act. And uh, they were, you know, they were all rallying around the President Bush, uh, most of them for the invasion of Iraq, not all, but most of them. And uh, so, you know, it was Lyndon Johnson that waged the war in Vietnam and, and suppressed as much as they could anti-war dissent. Uh, yeah, so when push comes to shove. now. That said, this is not something that's going to sit well with the majority of American people, especially in the cities. Although, if they stage a, a false terrorist attack, um, that's an enormous pressure on people because people want to be safe. And, you know, if you feel like you got to put up with cops and soldiers everywhere not to get blown up, well, and, and everybody knows that's an easy tactic to arrange. Um, it's not the first choice of the majority of American elites. You know, it's not good for business, and uh, it's not the kind of society they want to live in. If it really was, they would have done it already. Although a section, I think, you know, Bush, Cheney, and some others actually did help facilitate 9-11, but I don't think that was a, uh, a, 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 an elite, primarily widespread decision by any means. But certainly some were pro a lot of them profited from it um now let's look at the other side what are the possibilities for this not to happen um well is it, there are some interesting things happening uh, lula is probably going to get reelected in brazil we'll see you know if he if he really adopts a, a serious progressive agenda and rallies latin america around those that agenda. Um, he's has said, 
you know, he's, he's a real critic of NATO um, and does not want to be part of an American military uh, umbrella. Uh, if he sticks to that, and if they really start to take climate seriously uh, in terms of the Amazon and generally, uh, that will have a very positive influence in the world. Um, in France, you have Mélenchon, who is uh, you know, quite left, has just recently uh, got all the left-wing parties who usually fight with each other to unite in the coming June uh, elections for the National Assembly. And if they're successful and get a majority of seats, uh, he's very possibly could be the next prime minister of France. And Mélenchon's, you know, significantly to the left of Bernie Sanders. Now, that, that's not talking about Bernie's individual uh, feelings or ideas. I, I would guess if Bernie could be as left as Mélenchon and still have any hope of, of getting elected to something in the United States, he probably would be. But in terms of the policies that are espoused, uh, Mélenchon is, is far to the left of Sanders and might be the prime minister. And, and they also have, have made a really interesting agreement. In fact, I'm publishing a story about this today. Um, they are going to pursue some policies in France to do with lowering the age of pensions, uh, increasing minimum wage, that are in, com in outright defiance of the policies of the EU, which are really... Uh, determined by German and French bankers. And they have said if the EU tries to rule that some of these policies are not acceptable based on EU agreements, they're going to defy them and do them anyway. Um, so it could create quite an uh, interesting crisis for Europe where the left is really emboldened. Um, and we'll see where that heads. Um, the, uh, so so on, at the electoral level, now we'll see what happens in the United States. Uh, you know, I know people have high hopes for uh, progressive politics in the United States, but it has to be understood. It is the center of the empire. And, and the elites have two very serious weapons, you know, a massive poli militarized police forces and endless amounts of money to throw at people if they have to. So during the pandemic, they gave everybody a bunch of money. And if they had to, they can do it again. So, so they have a lot of levers uh, to try to suppress really serious dissent. Uh, on the other hand, in the cities and certain states, uh, there's a, a, a large support for Sanders-esque and even more progressive politics. Um, so uh, probably in certain states, there's more likely to be uh, some breakthroughs. Uh, but, the, but it looks like, given federal politics, it's going to go through some dark days. Um, and you know, maybe if, 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 if American left can overcome sectarianism and, and, and figure out a way to build a really broad progressive front that has to include uh, a, a, a quite a wide spe spectrum of anti-fascist politics, anti-totalitarian politics, very wide spectrum if it's going to be effective. So far, not seeing it, but maybe people will get so freaked out by, you know, a Supreme Court that illegalizes abortion and a Congress the Republicans take over and 
And and and and again, I I would really be concerned of about uh, after 2024 a far more if the Republicans win a far more threatening posture towards China. Not to say that Biden's rhetoric is not inflammatory. Not to say that Biden's uh, support for legitimatizing the idea of Taiwanese independence, not overtly, but close to it. I mean, what Biden's doing is very provocative to China. It's just that these, you know, the Steve Bannons of this world, who are uh, the, some of the intellectual think ta- thinkers behind this growing theocracy, uh, they want more than almost war with China. A lot of these people want real war. So I hope this awakens uh, that plus coming government that denies there is a climate crisis. I hope that rallies a broad, broad front around the climate, a climate strategy as, as the front and center issue. And that doesn't matter what your other issues are you care about. You join and vote for candidates who have a real climate plan at every level, whether it's city, state, federally, and and you put aside every other difference. And a real climate plan is not greenwashing. It's phasing out fossil fuel by regulation, phasing in sustainable energy by law, by regulation, not by reliance on market mechanism. I I wouldn't rule out all market mechanism, but if, if you rely on it, if you rely on carbon capture, as far as I can tell, you're just dreaming. If we, if we can rally around that kind of program, and maybe, maybe. Because, you know, we uh, it was less than a week ago, I believe, there was this leaked draft by the Supreme Court, is a majority opinion, talking about how, you know, they think it's unconstitutional. What do you think are going to be, you know, I guess, actually, first of all, do you think that they're going to go through with overturning this? And if you if so... What do you think the ramifications might be in regarding to American domestic politics? Do you think this has the potential to, you know, empower a more left-wing coalition that is able to, you know, actually start addressing more of these serious issues? Or do you think this is going to just be a fundraising vehicle for the Democrats? I've, I've almost given up trying to predict American politics because because it's so often irrational. All I know of is if I was a Republican, I would do everything I could to postpone this decision by the Supreme Court. Um, I think it was very effective leaking it, I guess, you know, to kind of energize your base. But I wouldn't want it passed because I think it's very hard to calculate the effect it will have in the 2022 vote. Because, yeah, of course, in amongst the population that are really uh, anti-abortion, it will make them happy, but they kind of already were anyway. It's not like they weren't going to vote f- for the Republicans. Um, they didn't want, you know, controlling the Senate's important to them in case there's any other Supreme Court vacancies and so on. Um, I think it's hard to calculate how much this will energize people who either wouldn't vote or might even have voted Republican, but now might vote Democrat just because uh, they want women to have a choice. I saw an interesting piece, I don't know if it was in the Washington Post or somewhere, that the majority of people of, of other religions, like not white Protestant 
but the majority of people of almost every other religion, from Hindu to Sikh to Jewish, other Christian denominations, almost everyone, the majority defend the right of women to choose. Um, that's a lot of people who might have voted Republican previously, but on this one, you know, the abortion issue might be enough to swing them the other way. Um, uh, the, the, so, uh, you know, I'm not one that completely dismisses the Democratic Party. Um, you know, I did an article before the last election, why the left should vote for Biden. And I said, you know, Biden represents the underlying cancer of monopoly capitalism and financialization. And financialization and monopoly capitalism give rise to fascism. So Biden represents a process that, that leads to fascization because of the existential threat of climate and the supremacy of the United States, so the rising, what they see as a threat of China. But it's a slower-moving cancer. This cancer also gives rise to malignant tumors. Trump is, and that movement is a malignant tumor of the underlying cancer. And there are times when you have to focus on the tumor because you can't eradicate the whole cancer, but if you don't surgically remove or through chemotherapy or radiation, you don't get rid of the tumor, you ain't going to be around to deal with the underlying cancer. So, so I see that's, you know, Trump and what, that, what he represents, not Trump himself, but the movement of the far right, Christian nationalists and fascists. So there are times when you have to say, okay, yeah, I, I'm never going to stop calling the cancer a cancer. I'm never going to stop calling corporate Democrats the political party of the underlying cancer. But there are times you've got to focus on the tumor. And, and the United States political system as such, whether it's a third party, at the federal na national level, I'm not talking, there's cer certainly circumstances where a third party does make sense. But if you're talking, you know, a presidential run, and in many cases, Senate and, and House, but even there, maybe not always, you got to focus on, on the tumor so that you're around to fight the cancer. Um, I mean, I, I, look at World War II. And, and this, you know, the greatest imperialism leading up into the 1930s was Anglo-American imperialism. Nobody killed more people than England and the United States. No, you know, they were the ones, England had a lot of colonies, the United States wanted more colonies. Uh, they wanted to suppress uh, any growth of, of, of Germany after World War I. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're anti-imperialist in the 1930s, you gotta be anti-Anglo-American imperialists who wanted nothing more than to bring down the Soviet Union. And I'll, and I'll say again, the Soviet Union, you know, became a police state and so on and so on, but it, doesn't, it was still had a lot of socialist characteristics and the Anglo-Americans wanted it down. But did that mean that with the rise of Hitler, this tumor of the underlying cancer 
Did that mean progressive people didn't rally around defeating Hitler? And, you know, would you tell French partisans uh, not to take arms from the British and the Americans to fight the German invaders because the Americans and the British were imperialists? Well, if, if you said that, you'd be, you'd, one, you'd be nuts. Two, nobody would listen. Um, you know, there are times you've got to focus on the tumor, but you, but you should never fall into merging with the imperialist, nationalist rhetoric and narrative. Ne you know, never fall into defending your own sovereignty, your own nationality. Like, we got to tell people the whole story. But yeah, so, so you know, demonizing, vilifying the Democratic Party. A lot of people that go after the Democratic Party, they barely talk about who owns stuff in the United States. They barely ever talk about public ownership and what socialism might look like. So, so in the final analysis, to answer this question, there is no hope for this world without some new invigorated form of socialism without public ownership. Someone tell me how you're going to have an effective campaign against climate change without central planning. I mean, nobody, there isn't anyone that can, not a single capitalist could possibly say the market will deal with the climate crisis, certainly in time that it's going to mean anything. You can only, you have to go to denial. You have to say, well, there isn't a climate crisis, then fine. But as soon as you have central planning, which obviously we already have central planning because the Pentagon is already part of central planning. But then you have to say central planning for whom? And see, there's central planning for the people, central planning to really fight the climate crisis, or central planning to keep making rich people richer. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that's, that's spot on. You know, I, uh, I have a pretty negative view of the Democratic Party, but I, I do agree that, you know, there's instances where you, you kind of have to focus on the more acute issue. And uh, we have a lot of acute issues. The Democratic Party institutionally is part of the state. It's just Republican Democratic parties. I mean, even to the point that when someone's nominated to be uh, the, the party's candidate for president, they're not even elected yet. They already get brought in. I don't know about Bernie Sanders, but anybody else. They already get brought in to being uh, briefed on top secret national security questions. Like no other party gets that. Like, you know, when Jill Stein got nominated to be green, I don't think she got, a, she got invited by the CIA to get briefed on national security questions. So the Democratic Party and the Russian, uh, not Russian, uh, the Republican Party, they're part of the state apparatus, really. Now within it, within the Democrats, there is some room for oppositional forces. Some room. Uh, we'll see. I, I don't know how much. At some point, uh, this is what I always thought might happen. If the pro-Sander type forces ever got strong enough, uh, they would be so suppressed in the Democratic Party that that would then split and create the basis for a third party with mass support. Um, I, I find it hard to see that the people that really control the Democratic Party would ever allow a progressive to really become its standard bearer. But maybe someone with a little bit of seriousness about climate. Maybe, maybe. So when I say this, it's not about being negative about the Democratic Party. I talk about 
don't demonize it as if the corporate Democrats are something not just an extension reflection part of American monopoly capitalism, the state. Uh, it's, they're not the devil any more than, you know, honestly, none of, none of these players are the devil. It's just that there's a, there's a, because of social media, there's a brand coming from the left, spending most of your time attacking the Democrats, even cozying up to people like Tucker Carlson. That's a brand that does really well within a section of people who, whose, whose identity is wrapped up in their disillusionment with the Democratic Party. I used to believe and that I grew up believing in Democrats. They were going to do good for the people. I never, to me, the Democratic Party was the party of the Vietnam War. I grew up hating the Democratic Party. You know, to me, the Democratic Party was the war party. And they were the ones that were, you know, that were around when Martin Luther King gets killed. And, uh, you know, but it's about the system, it's about the state, and there's some wiggle room in the Democratic Party when they're in power. Like, for example, and this is not a minor issue, Trump advocated militarizing the police at a completely different level than Obama ever did. Trump said about Black Lives Matter, put these people in jail for a decade or more. The suppression of dissent under these uh, right-wing theocrats who, are, who, talk, who get their guidance, they think, from God and, and are, are actually organized by very organized uh, Christian nationalist groups like the family and others who work at recruiting senators and, and senior military people, you know, I'm told by Mickey Weinstein, who works on these issues, that maybe as much as 30% of the military are Christian nationalists now, organized Christian nationalists. So, and, and they have influence in the Democratic Party too, just less, more in the Republican Party. So I, Let's just not demonize, let's try to understand these various forces and find. But my point here was that the far right in power will be far more vicious in suppressing dissent. We have more room to organize. I mean, like right now, there's places, uh, you know, in Russia where you, uh, I think, I don't know if I said this already, but if you don't say the word special military operation and you say the word war, you can be arrested. Well, we're going to see that. We could easily see that in the United States. And we're already seeing social media decide who gets to speak based on what they say, you know, the big tech companies. So, so that there is some room. There's more room to move, to organize when the Democrats are in power. But we shouldn't have illusions about who they represent. Yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, my interpretation of what you're saying and kind of also my previous view is, you know, the Democrats, it's a, it's a systemic thing. You know, you can't just take one little part of the system and try to view it in isolation. You know, uh, it's really easy to look at Hillary Clinton and all the evil things she's done and go after the Democratic Party. And that's fair enough. And, and they're not completely on the same page. And there's and there's significant differences. And it's not because the corporate Democrats and the, their financial backers are, are such nicer people. But they depend on the cities for their electoral support. And American cities, uh, 
on the whole, are fairly progressive, you know, certainly compared to most, you know, rural areas of the country. Uh, you know, I was talking about putting my hand on, you go to school, you got to put your hand on your heart, I pledge allegiance. Well, I, we lived in New York for a little while. My kids were in school. I have nine-year-olds. And I told the teacher, I don't want them standing. or put, If they don't want to, I, it's okay with me. Don't, they don't need to put their hand on their heart. They don't need to stand. They don't need, and the teacher said, oh, I so agree with you. I, I agree. I'm not, I don't make any of my kids stand up. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of places in the United States, if a teacher said that, they'd get fired. So, so the Democrats depend on a far more progressive population for their votes because the cities... Honestly, they're, they're generally a little more educated. The working class is more educated. They're more unionized. Um, so, so, the, so, the, so because of that, like I lived in Baltimore for seven, eight years. Um, under the Obama administration, the Department of Justice came in and investigated the Baltimore Police Department. In fact, there's a show now on HBO called That's My City or This Is My City about the corruption of the Baltimore Police Force. Um, that hundred that and it led to some reform. I don't know how much, but some. And the policing was a little less vicious after the DOJ investigated. A little. Well, if you're living in downtown Baltimore, a little matters. You know, if you're some white dude in front of a computer all day, and you have your, you know, you're doing okay then those little differences don't matter that much. But to much of the population, those little differences do matter. So, so I'm, I'm always wary of saying, you know, they're identical, the two parties. Uh, you know, on some critical issues, sure, defense of the elites fundamentally, yeah. But there, there's differences and some of the differences matter. What advice would you give to someone? Um, you know, just, it doesn't have to be, you know, super in-depth, but just, things that you've noticed or pitfalls that you've noticed along the way. Um, what, you know, what advice would you give to someone like myself or any other young person that might watch this um, of how they should continue to try to spread this message and, you know, kind of organize, agitate all of that? Well, first of all, I did a series of interviews um, with Jane McAlevey, mm -hmm. who I, I called an or she's an organizer's organizer. Mm -hmm. uh, I would suggest watch, all seven or eight interviews. Okay. Um, it, it's a great series. She's, I think she's done great work, and she's uh, talking about the methodology of how to organize um, to get organized um, wherever you are. If you're in school, get 20 people together. Uh, in fact, you can even – Jane gives these courses. If you can organize 20 people, then the 20 people can take the course. But – uh, wherever you are, start organizing and with, around, uh, I would say, first and foremost, climate. And then the issues that are facing the people that you're organizing, their direct interests, mm -hmm. whether it's students or in the community, wherever. Right. Um, electorally, don't vote for anyone that doesn't have a really decent climate program in the primaries. Mm -hmm. um, there are times... I would hold my nose and vote for a Democrat to beat a Republican mm -hmm. uh, if necessary, but I'd never shut up about if it's a corporate Democrat, yeah. who they are and what they are. Um, 
the uh, it's it's a terrible time to be young in the sense that you know it's worse even you know when I was young I was sure the world would end before I hit the age of 20 I, I remember so distinctly the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, every day expected I, I really expected to be the last day and I didn't go. I said earlier I quit high school and didn't go to university. Well, that's because I thought the world would end, and I <laughs> yeah. didn't want to. I re, no, really, I said, "What the hell's the point? I'm not going to spend the last few years of my life going to school," because I, you know, I never liked it much. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so as as terrible as being a a, a kid and lead up to World War One and World War One and World War Two and Vietnam and so on and so on, the climate crisis is just a whole other thing. We, you know, we're, 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 and and it's difficult to accept the science. It's difficult because if you really, really internalize that life as we know it is coming to an end, and because I know that now, I've got to do something about it. Then you got to change how you live. You got to, you know, like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm doing what I can here. You know, and media and so on is my thing. But uh, whether that's the most effective thing, I'm not so sure, actually. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of groups, organizations that are organizing, and they're going door-to-door talking to people. And I think that's the other thing I would really highly recommend. Uh, organizing through social media, organizing by being online, even though that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but... I, I don't know that's the most effective way because the people we need to talk to the most are not watching this stuff. It's true. You know, the media is so siloed that, you know, they're watching, you know, they're watching Fox, main, mainstream news, or probably no news. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have just completely tuned out and yeah. uh, are watch entertainment programming almost exclusively. Yeah. And I understand why, because, you know, people say to themselves, you know, it's it, it, everything looks like it's going to shit. I, I can't do anything about it. So I might as well enjoy myself or, you know, just yeah. it makes me feel better to watch this stuff. So, you know, being young now means, you know, like what Greta Thunberg's done. You know, you got to figure out what you can do. And, and first is get together with whoever you can that kind of agrees with you, mm-hmm. educate yourself, and then start talking to people who don't agree with you, you know, slowly, persuasively, but not, you know, hit people over the head. Yeah. Go listen. I mean, one of Jane's main methodologies, and same with other people doing this kind of organizing, is, you know, you knock on doors and you listen to people and then slowly talk um, I know one of the most uh, I've found, and I've talked to a lot of people, ordinary people over the years, uh, who don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. And it's not just listening. Once they understand that you're not there to show for the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. that you have lots of critique for corporate Democrats, once they get that, now they're much more willing to listen because they don't feel like you're there just to force them to vote for for people that never did much for them mm-hmm. uh, which is partly why bernie does well when he has these town halls yeah. uh, amongst you know workers in west virginia or whatever 
But but people have to hear how threatening it is. Uh, you know, I was talking to an organizer in West Virginia, and you know they talk a bit about climate, but it's not front and center. They talk mm -hmm. more about the opioid epidemic and uh, other, you know, unemployment. Yeah, and they're all so serious. But I'll bet you most people in West Virginia don't know that when the floods come, caused by climate crisis, sections of West Virginia are more at risk than, than the shorelines of Florida. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. People don't know. So get organized. If you're you know, at work, you know, in the community, at school, find some organizations that are, that are doing this kind of door-to-door -door, uh, talking to people with climate, I think, front and center. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, there's never been a time we don't so badly need a youth movement sure. on a broad scale. That's, that's great advice. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's spot on. So the, the thing you were talking about with Jane, is that on your website? Could I go give that a yeah. watch? And, cool. Awesome. Well, you know, I think that that covers all the questions I had. Um, and if you have anything else you want to add, now would be the time. But other than that, you know, I just wanted to say thank you very, very much for this. I, I truly do appreciate it. And um, yeah. No, no, just uh, thank you for doing it. Mm -hmm. No, my pleasure. Believe me. Okay. <laughs> say goodbye to everybody. All right. Bye. <laughs> Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>